It is December 2015. Your tickets have been purchased, you've waited in line, you're wearing your favorite Star Wars shirt or costume. The air is charged with excitement from the audience. The excitement and tension in the room is palpable, intense, shaking. You have your popcorn, or maybe you don't, because this is about to be an experience that needs your undivided attention. The trailers play, and you're inching closer and closer to the big premiere. Finally, the lights dim. You grab the hand of the person next to you. This is it. There's a silence. Someone starts clapping as the Lucasfilm logo appears. Blue words against black. Then, deafening horns. The crawl begins, and you've been waiting for this moment for years. And then, Luke Skywalker has vanished. The saga begins again. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey guys, I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this episode where we're talking all about the Star Wars crawl. I'm excited. Um, And I got to say, Charlotte did our prologue this episode, and I got chills while you were talking about it. I was like, yes, (laughs) I remember. I remember. (laughs) So vividly. It honestly feels like it was yesterday. It's so weird saying 2015 and it's 2018 now. And it just, it feels so far away. It's so weird. It does. Like, who even were we? <laughs> like, honestly, pretty much the same people. Pretty- but <laughs> <laughs> Without a podcast. But, like, way less Star Wars. <laughs> honestly, true. So much less Star Wars. Um, and Sky Talkers was just, like, a, like a, tiny, a tiny idea. It was. It, it was. At that point, it really was an idea, which mm-hmm. is, like, kind of hard to remember. But yeah. we were really... It, itching to like become part of fandom and like yeah put a stamp on it yeah exactly um but yeah i mean those opening words luke skywalker has vanished are such a mic drop um but yeah i'm i'm really pumped to be talking about the crawls i feel like they're such a staple of star wars but something that we don't often like really dive into Mm -hmm. i know it's really weird i I'm interested to hear what people think about this episode just because I think it's like, you know, I think our hands discussion might have been the most specific we've ever gotten, but this is pretty specific. Yeah. <laughs> and this was this was your idea too, which I think is it's an awesome idea. And I'm there's a lot there to talk about, which I think is surprising. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was weird because I was um, – so I actually just got back from San Francisco earlier this week. You might have heard if you listened to our resistance recap, um, but I was in San Francisco for a conference and I watched The Last Jedi on the plane ride to San Francisco. And I remember reading the crawl of The Last Jedi and it said like the resistance has been exposed. And I remember thinking like, oh, you know, I've never thought about that in context of the show Resistance. Like it gave me a whole new – like just like that one sentence in the crawl, like really like had me thinking, and I was like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, like let me go back and like actually like I read the crawls, but like let me read the crawl. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was kind of where the idea came from. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's gonna be interesting. You're right. Uh, I think hands is still our most specific episode, <laughs> um, <laughs> but this will probably come in a close second. I must say, um, I think it's it's an interesting topic. I think. So we'll see how the discussion pans out. But uh, yeah, I got to go to San Francisco and I was there for a conference and I got to go to Lucasfilm and (laughs) it was amazing. Tell us all about it. All right. So day one. What you can tell. 
<laughs> what you can tell. There were so many <laughs> secrets. Um, <laughs> uh, so the first day I actually went to Lucasfilm, I was literally just there to see the see Yoda. Um, and I got to go in the lobby, which was pretty fun. Uh, not pretty fun. It was really fun. And it was cool because there was a tour in there who were actually touring with, I think, ILM and XLab. So they did like this whole little intro in the lobby and I just kind of like – loitered on the edges <laughs> and listened. Um, but I thought the bookshelves were really cool in Lucasfilm. They had like really interesting models and stuff. And the books themselves were really great too. They actually had um, two books. I can't remember the second one, but there was like a whole row that was about like preservation and like city planning and Jane Jacobs, the life and death of the American city. And I was like, what? Oh, what? <laughs> Which That's is so like, cool. You didn't tell yeah, me that. Yeah, I know I didn't. I forgot. I like just came to me while I was talking. Um, I actually think I have a picture of it on my phone. Um, but yeah, I was like, <laughs> oh my God, George Lucas has Jane Jacobs. Mm, the circle is complete um, <laughs> of my life. <laughs> Which if you don't know, Jane Jacobs was a, um activist, an early activist for preservation. Wrote this great book called The Death and Life of the American City. Anyway, we talked about it a lot in my in my studies. So it was pretty cool to see like her book on – in the Lucasfilm library, which was great. Um, but yeah, that was amazing. And so actually I was supposed to um, meet up with Phil Sostak that day, who's the art director for Lucasfilm. And um, just he was in a meeting. I had to go back to the conference. Signals got crossed or whatever. But he invited me back the next day, actually, because I wasn't there for a tour. And he was like, oh, well, I'll give you a tour. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Um <laughs> And uh, yeah, so I like had my name in that like my name was in the lobby. I got like a badge with like my name on it. <laughs> and I felt like the <laughs> coolest person in the world. Um, and Phil was just absolutely amazing. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. I think it's, it's just at Phil Sosak. Um, but he is always posting really interesting things like from the archives of Lucasfilm and like art concept art and things like that. And he's just such an incredible guy. And he took me like through all the hallways and he listened to me like fangirl about so much stuff. I tried real hard to keep it cool. (laughs) And he was like, are you like, are you good? And I'm like, yes. (laughs) And I was like, Bill, I'm trying real hard to be calm. (laughs) He was like, Okay. And I was like, tell me if I go too far. (laughs) Um, But there was just like so much stuff like everywhere and it was amazing. And it wasn't just Star Wars stuff, obviously, because Lucasfilm is involved in a lot of other properties and franchises. There was like a lot of – there was a lot of E.T. stuff actually. Um, I don't think I was expecting as much E.T. stuff, but there was a lot of E.T., um, a lot of props, a lot of like concept um like all the movie posters everywhere were so great i got to see that movie poster that gareth edwards like quote unquote edited for rogue one where it was like he like circled his name at the bottom and was like make this name bigger and like (laughs) make these (laughs) other names smaller (laughs) it was really great um but i had a great time phil and i actually had lunch and we just got to talk about star wars and he took me to the gift shop which (laughs) i like (laughs) really had to keep chill in the gift shop um but it was it was an absolutely incredible experience and um I feel really grateful that Phil took so much time to kind of take me around and um listen to me fangirl about things so it was it was incredible it was incredible I just can't speak highly enough about it or him really one of the cool things that you told me is that you got to see some of the matte paintings yes. and you got to see, and I feel talked to you about how 
Um, a lot of the matte paintings were done on sliding glass doors. I find that so fascinating. I'm still yeah. thinking about it. Yeah, he said – yeah, this is really interesting. So um, he said that they were – a lot of them were actually done on shower doors because they're yes. like this big pane of glass that's just kind of ready-made. And you can see um, like the hinges on some of them too. And yeah, he said it's because you can backlight through the glass and it makes it easier to backlight. Um, which I thought was so interesting. And what's cool too is some of them aren't finished all the way. Like they've only matte painted the like area that they need. And so it's not completely done um, like on the bottoms and stuff and on the sides of the shower door or like the glass, whatever it is, you can see like where they've been like cleaning off their brushes and stuff like that. Um, Just like really cool details like that. But yeah, there was so much artwork. There was a lot from Peter Pan, which if you don't know, I'm a big Peter Pan fan. So seeing some matte paintings from of like Neverland and stuff was really cool. They also had like so many props out. They had a lot of solo props out, actually. Like Empress Ness mm-hmm. was out, Dryden Foss was out. Um, obviously, and like that, they have it on like the Star Wars Instagram account. Like a, they featured it in the Star Wars show, the like little six by six bookshelf. Um, that was there, and they have like a lot of solo props in there as well. There was just it was like I didn't know where to look first. <laughs> You will be posting your photos um, from inside on our Instagram account if you want to see. I think mm-hmm. she'll do like a little slideshow, right, Kaylin? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So it was amazing. And Phil, if you're listening, thank you so much. It was seriously amazing. I haven't stopped smiling about it. <laughs> I was so happy that you went. I was, yeah. and Anna was really happy that you went to the store and got me some stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> all about that merch. <laughs> Charlotte and I are going to be twitting our Lucasfilm gear whenever you see us now from the foreseeable future. So I am never going to take off my Lucasfilm hat. It's never. okay. Yeah. Right. Well, what's funny is the guy in the gift shop, um, they were playing Empire Strikes Back. And I asked him, I was like, do you get to pick what movies you play? And he was like, yeah, like we used like we don't always play Star Wars. He's like, but I like to play Star Wars. And he's like, and they used to do um, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It was Empire. It was a new hope. Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. He's like, but I like to throw in the prequels every now and then because like I'm a prequel guy. And I was like, oh, my God, me too. And he was <laughs> and he was like, Attack of the Clones Tuesday. It just makes sense. <laughs> You know what? It really does make sense. It does make sense. Like Attack the Clones Tuesday. And I was like, man, like Zam Wessel Chase, that's going to wake you up. And he's like, it really does. (laughs) We bonded, me and the gift shop guy, about Attack of the Clones Tuesday. Um. (laughs) I'm ready to make Attack of the Clones Tuesday a thing. Right? Like it should be a bumper sticker. I wish I got his name so I could credit him. Yeah. Anyway, we're talking about the crawl today. Yes. So that was my trip to San Francisco. I did a lot of other things in San Francisco, but like that's the most important thing <laughs> in San Francisco. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So in part one, we're going to be talking about the history of the crawl. In part two, we're going to be talking about crawls of interest. <laughs> in part three, we're going to be talking about rhyming crawls. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? All right, welcome to part one where we're talking a little bit about the history of the crawl. It is Sky Talkers, so we always have to cover our, our historical bases um, when it comes to Star Wars because Star Wars is based in history a lot of the times, and the crawl is actually no exception. So if you've been around Star Wars for any amount of time, you know that George Lucas was heavily inspired by these old serials from the 1930s and 40s that you would see in the movie theater um, before like the main feature, like Buck Rogers and stuff like that. If you don't know about that, you can always go back to our By George series. <laughs> that was a good yes. plug, right? 
It was a really good plug. <laughs> Thank you. It's like so seamless. Um, but The Crawl was inspired by 1930s and 40s serials, like I just said. Um, and uh, George Lucas had this to say about The Crawl in a 2005 interview, which I thought was really interesting. He says, The crawl is such a hard thing because you have to be careful that you're not using too many words that people don't understand. It's like a poem. I showed the very first crawl to a bunch of friends of mine in the 1970s and went on for six paragraphs with four sentences each. Brian De Palma was there and he threw his hands up in the air and said, George, you're out of your mind. Let me sit down and write this for you. He helped me chop it down into the form that it exists today, which is just like classic George. Classic George in his plaid with his Coke and candy bar. He just needs a permanent editor, always. <laughs> he really does. Um, but so the crawl itself is like a physical model that they use in the original trilogy, which I think is so interesting. And everyone who's kind of talked about that process of filming the crawl has like a love-hate relationship with it, I feel like, because on the one hand, they're really proud of it. But on the other, it was like so painstaking to actually film this thing um, because the actual panel itself was two feet wide by six feet long. And apparently it was incredibly time-consuming to actually film it because you had to keep the camera so so steady and because of the way that the prop worked and like the camera angle and stuff if there were any imperfections on this panel with the crawl it would be incredibly visible so you'd have to fix it start over etc etc crazy i mean i it would be super painstaking to film that and i think i've seen um in certain behind the scenes documentaries of them filming it and um it, it looks painstaking and i'm sure they're so glad that they can do it digitally now they do it digitally, obviously, for the prequel and sequel trilogy now, um, which I think makes it a lot easier. But it, it would be interesting if they ever did go back and, like, did a physical – like, you could almost see The Force Awakens doing that, being like, we're so practical. We're even going to, like, practically do the crawl. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because in the era of Disney, I think there's been so much discussion, at least like I remember a time after the Disney purchase when they were talking about the movies that were going to come down the line if they would have the crawl. And mm -hmm. it was it was pretty highly debated, you know, whether yeah. or not the new ones would include it. And in the back of my mind, I was like, they'd never get rid of it. They can't. It's just essential. And that's because it really is part of that Star Wars feeling. Mm -hmm. um, so much so that how did we feel when Rogue One didn't include that? I, for one, have always been in the camp that the anthology should not have crawls. Um, for me, that was never – I never wanted them to have crawls. I know. I agree. I'm I'm totally with you with that. I I think that Rogue One has a unique storytelling element to it and the fact that it just completely drops you in the middle of the story. And I know that Star Wars, like that's kind of the point of the crawl in itself is that you're able to be dropped into the middle of the story. But Rogue One kind of stands on itself, um, stands by itself in the way that it doesn't necessarily need to do that. And honestly, if you think about Rogue One and the way that the movie is set up, the crawl technically could possibly be that flashback sequence with young Jin, y you know? Yeah, yeah, it could. I know that when I first watched Rogue One, I didn't like how the title came up um, because it almost sounds on like this dissonant note when Ro like when the title Rogue One comes up. And I really didn't like that at first. And I knew that I didn't want to crawl in Rogue One, but I wasn't sure if I appreciated how it's – not appreciated, but if I, it was my taste how it started. But upon like subsequent viewings and everything, it really does fit so well because you have like this kind of – like it's almost Star Wars, but it's not quite like the way the music's written. Um, mm -hmm. And it comes in on this like – 
I can't think of the tune in my head now, but it's like a singular note almost. And then like you have the title flash forward, which I think is actually really poignant when you think about the end of Rogue One too, how it's like this single action of the Death Star that kind of ends all of their stories. And you start with this like single kind of kind of minor scale note at the start. I don't know. It's kind mm-hmm. of it kind of rhymes that way. Um, but I think Rogue One works really well. I will say that I love what they did at the beginning of Solo. Um, Me I think too. I, the beginning of Solo, like that whole like with the flashing and you've got the young Han Solo um, theme playing and you have like this like disappearing prologue that, that's not in Star Wars text. It's in the blue font. I don't mm-hmm. know. It just – it works really well for me. What did you think of the Solo prologue? Don't you remember when we were in the premiere and watching the movie and everyone kind of gasping when yeah. – uh, a long time ago, like basically transferred to it is a lawless time. Yeah. Um, that was a really cool feeling because I think we were all like, whoa, like they did something different, but it actually feels the same. And mm-hmm. I think it totally fits for Han Solo. Um, I also just really liked the text that they gave for Solo. I think that it kind of really set the mood. And um, I don't know, it was great. I, I really appreciate that one mm-hmm. because it's it's like a it's hardly a crawl. It's like a half of a crawl. It's enough information to get you going. It's like a crawl lookalike or like a crawl's – the crawl's little sister. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I just never really would have thought that they would have ex- extended the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. I think that like thinking about it, I feel like I should – because in a weird way for as much as we do and don't think about things like the crawl and a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, those words and the way that they look are very sacred to Star Wars. And like you said, it, like, it really sets the tone for that Star Wars feeling when you see the, that – it's like it's this pattern. You've got the Lucasfilm logo in blue and green and black and then you've got a long time ago in that blue and black and then you start with the music um immediately you've got the yellow and black and it's like this pattern that you follow and it's what you expect and like to see other words besides a long time ago in a galaxy far far away in that font and color like knowing myself I should have I'm surprised that I like it as much as I did yeah yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah, and I'm – like, if it would have been in a different font and, like – like, I still love the the words. And even if it had been, like, a different font and color, I still think it would have been just as effective. But I think it was really bold of them to, like, keep it in the long time ago font and color. Like, it was mm-hmm. it was pretty bold. But it, it flows really seamlessly. And you're right. It was such, like, a like a gasp moment of, like, whoa, a lawless – whoa. <laughs> it was a really <laughs> great moment in the theater. Yeah, it really was. Um, All of this conversation kind of brings up another topic, and that is the fact that the Clone Wars series didn't have a crawl at all, but instead have had a voice that Caitlin and I, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on the podcast, we've affectionately called the Tom Kane voice, the voice of war. Mm -hmm. It's always been the voice of war. I don't even know. We, yeah, we've always called it. I think it was before we really like associated it with Admiral Yularen. Like, yeah. I don't think we necessarily realized it was the same person <laughs> at the beginning. We just called it like the ominous voice of war. It's just always been the voice of war. But I think that – and I think George has said this before. I don't have a quote in front of me. But the fact is is that they used that voiceover almost as an uh, – so that it wasn't inaccessible for kids who couldn't read. Um, instead, it – allowed for kids to just basically jump into the story with a little bit of background that they probably didn't fully understand. Um, But there's really nothing to read there. And it was really fast. And I think I don't know how 
long the crawl actually takes. I, I assume it's like two to three minutes, right? In in the very beginning of every Star Wars movie. Okay, so Caitlin looked it up and it's a minute and 10 seconds from like when you fade from um, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away and it fades away into the stars and pans down or up if you're Attack of the Clones. And I... <laughs> Um, <laughs> if you are Attack of the Clones. <laughs> if you are Attack of the Clones, you can disregard this statement. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying, though, is that in TV, when you're making 22-minute episodes that are mm-hmm. a fast, concise plot, you can't spend a minute and a half <laughs> with a crawl. Yeah. So I think that it was reworked into this voice of war that we know so so well. But really, what I wanted to talk about and ask you is, do we think that the crawl in itself, that like a form of like words is inaccessible for a lot of people when they're sitting in the theater? Or are we just like past that in terms of literacy? Uh, I don't know. I think it's it's so different. Um, and I think it's I don't I wouldn't say inaccessible. I think it's just a bit shocking, honestly, because I mean, didn't George Lucas had to pay a huge fine for the fact that the director isn't listed and like the like there aren't any opening credits mm-hmm. in Star Wars, right? Yeah. And so instead, like, he chooses to put these words out there. And it's interesting because we always talk about how one of Star Wars' strengths, especially in the original trilogy, is that it trusts its audience, which you can scratch that off your Skytalkers bingo, um, (laughs) to, like, just drop you in the middle of the story and be okay with it. But at the same time, it's giving you this, like, three-paragraph (laughs) catch-up of, like, yes, we're going to be dropping you in the middle of the story. Here's what you need to know. But what's funny is I, like – even watching Star Wars kind of growing up through my teens, I don't think I, I wasn't really paying attention um, to The Crawl as much as I should have been. And I wonder, like, especially like George always says that this is a movie for young people. Um, but like how many of those young people are actually paying attention to what's happening in The Crawl? So I, I don't think it's inaccessible. Is it useful, I guess, maybe is the question. Don't you remember when we were watching The Force Awakens and I was like, oh my God, it's going so fast. I can't read this. I can't soak this all in. I mean, The Force Awakens is arguably the most important crawl. (laughs) Yeah, it totally is. Because that was, I mean, that was the moment, you know, Luke Skywalker has vanished. Just like, oh my gosh. Like, I remember seeing those words and being like, what the heck? (laughs) I know. It was definitely the most shocking. Yeah, but you're right. It did feel like so fast. And it's because we were actually, I think for the first time, we were actually reading it to like get information from it. Um, because like, again, this is the the paradox of how Star Wars is created because like we already knew the story going into the prequels. And it was like, yeah, you don't know the details, but you know where it's headed. Um, which is why actually the crawls for the prequels are very interesting, which we'll talk about a little bit later um, when like in the details that they provide you and that they give you. But it's like the... I would say that The Force Awakens is even more important than, like, The Last Jedi Crawl, um, given, like, the time span between the two. But for me, I really think that is the bigger question. Like, are the crawls useful? I think they are. I think they totally are. Um, I have no doubt about that in my in my mind. And mm-hmm. I think that they are a landmark of the saga movies. And yeah. not having it would be a really big absence. I think so. If they had never had them, though, I guess, okay, so one, are the crawls useful? Yes. But two, are they used? Do you, like, because, like, this is the first time that we've really dived in deep to the crawls, right? I mean, 
I know we read – like when Charlotte and I would have our marathons, we would always put like much show into reading the crawls. Like it was a big part of our like marathoning tradition is to like read the crawls out loud, read them in funny voices and just like get into it. But again, like were we really paying attention? I, I know I wasn't. <laughs> were you? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've always paid so much attention to the crawls, and I really think it's because I loved the political intrigue yeah. of the prequels. Yeah, that makes sense. And we'll talk about what our favorites are in a few minutes, and I'll tell you why I have a certain favorite. But um, yes, I've always been paying attention to them, Caitlin. Right. I'm sorry you haven't. <laughs> I know that a lot of people don't, though. Like, I think that sometimes people's eyes like gloss over in the very beginning of a Star Wars movie, and they're like, "All right," because the truth is, the movie should be able to stand without that background essentially exposition exposition given to you by the crawl mm-hmm. you're right you're right so i have a question and um this is kind of a weird one but i think it's valuable because this is one of our only if not the only piece of written language that we're supposed to be Get, that were given as an audience um, to an inside of Star Wars. So can a crawl have a bias? And what I mean by that is that when we're reading the crawl, is it written from a certain point of view? And I really did not mean to make that pun. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think the the Star Wars films themselves have a bias. Obviously, it's very clear cut who is good and who is bad. And the crawl explicitly tells you that, um, especially in the original trilogy, it's very clear who you're supposed to be rooting for. And it lays out pretty clearly as well who the underdog is. Um, and, you know, as an audience, you're always kind of biased to root for the underdog. And even to like the language that is used, which we'll talk about some of the language specifically too, but like even just the way that like the first time that you're seeing the names of these people, like the Empire versus the Rebellion, like you just kind of feel like, oh, like the empire is bad, rebellion good. And seeing that in text is kind of your first clue as to whose side you're quote unquote supposed to be on. Mm -hmm. And when studying language, it's, I mean, you're taught this at a young age, you recognize all the different adjectives that are being used. And I Mm -hmm. think that there's words like ruthless and tyranny and um, desperate and all these words, you know, kind of really evoke a sense of feeling about what we're supposed to feel about these these certain like sides of war. Um, and I, I totally agree with you. I think that there is a bias here, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I actually think it's a great it's a good thing to clue in our audience to look for those visual visual cues. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Um, it's really interesting. But are we ready to move into the crawls themselves? I am. <laughs> So welcome to part two, um, The Crawls of Interest. So, Caitlin, what's your favorite crawl? I think my favorite crawl is either A New Hope or The Force Awakens. Um, I really love how A New Hope starts. It is a period of civil war. I just think it's really ominous. Like, it really sets the stage well. But like we talked about in the last section, The Force Awakens, I was like, catch me up, J.J. Abrams. (laughs) Like, what has been happening? Um, I've never read one so intently and like i said those first words as a luke skywalker fangirl it was like oh he's vanished like whoa it was like you remember reading those words for the first time um what about you 
I don't think this will be a surprise to anyone, but my favorite is Revenge of the Sith and will always be Revenge of the Sith. I don't think it'll be topped unless, you know, they throw some insane curveball, which they totally could in episode nine. But yeah, the Revenge of the Sith is def- crawl is definitely my favorite. I remember so clearly watching it in the theater. I remember thinking how cool the, the fact that it started with just a, a word war exclamation point. Um, and even just looking back that back now, like looking at Star Wars as like a composite, at this point in Star Wars, like things are really at, at a head. Like we are really in the thick of the Clone Wars and um, just <laughs> George having to like signify that and really going for it by putting war exclamation point. Um, I can still recite it from memory. It's I, it's the only one I know by memory. War, the Republic is crumbling under the attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. But I really do love, aside from war, I love the heroes on both sides line. Yeah. And it's something we talk about all the time. They named a Clone Wars episode after it. It is such a key theme in Star Wars overall. And I love that it's included in this crawl for us to see for always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What I love about you reciting the Revenge of the Sith crawl is that we have all of these crawls in this G-Doc, so you could very well be reading it. <laughs> I didn't, though. <laughs> I, I promise. I've, I think I believe you. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> you know. You've seen me recite that one. Yeah, yeah. No. If you, go, if you guys don't know, Charlotte has like a weirdly like amazing memory when it comes to things like song lyrics and crawls and theme ride soundtracks and like <laughs> everything. So I, I believe you. I just think it's funny because I'm like, I'm reading the crawl right now on our G-Dog. <laughs> I just remember in 2005 when the movie came out on DVD, I was like, I'm going to learn the crawl. I'm going to memorize it. It's going to be this really cool thing that I can like whip out at parties. I've never whipped it out at a party. It's not a fun party trick. It's not cool. <laughs> I wonder, I, I wonder if in like some – I like have this vision that like probably never happened but probably did actually of us in middle school in English class, you sitting behind me just like whispering the crawl but like me oh, pre-stars sure like doesn't really know what you're saying and all I hear you be is like evil is everywhere but like behind me. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> That's funny. Um. Yeah, it really does. Like, it feels so much like their Revenge of the Sith novelization. Uh, yeah, that like whole start, which I think they, he basically says that at some point in the book. I think I know he says heroes are on both sides. So yeah, it, it really does. It's super ominous. Like you know that that this is it, um, and the crawl definitely has that kind of tone to it. Um, but let's talk about the characters that are mentioned in the crawls because I think this is really interesting, especially in the prequel trilogy. Um, so kind of going down the line of characters that are mentioned in these crawls, we have Supreme Chancellor. He's mentioned twice throughout all um, eight films. Uh, Count Dooku is mentioned twice. Senator Amidala. General Grievous. Princess Leia is mentioned four times. Luke Skywalker <laughs> comes in at a whopping nine times throughout four films, five films. Han Solo once, Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, which honestly, I always forget that Jabba the Hutt is mentioned in the crawl. (laughs) I think it's funny. And then Supreme Leader Snoke is mentioned once. 
What I think is really interesting, one, is how often Luke is mentioned. Um, but number two, how there have been no sequel trilogy characters that have really been referenced in The Crawl. We get a bit of a Poe reference when it talks about General Leia sending her most daring pilot, but none of them are mentioned by name. Um, so why do we think none of the sequel trilogy characters have been mentioned yet within these two crawls? J.J. loves his sense of mystery, um, but I do think – in terms of like the contextuality of the crawl, it seems to me like the crawl serves the purpose to tell the Luke Skywalker story and kind of fill in that background um, in a movie that really doesn't care to explore that that much. I'm thinking about The Last Jedi and The Force Awakens. Um, it is really setting the stage for like what you need to know about the characters really going forward, but maybe you won't be visiting them um, or seeing them in the movie ahead. I'm really surprised about that, actually. Like when we all laid it out and looked at it, I, it's fascinating to me that Snoke is mentioned and no other sequel trilogy characters are mentioned. And um, I do wonder what that means. And I, I think that kind of goes to what I just said about how like it's kind of stuff that you don't really need to know it's stuff that you need to know, but you don't really need to know in the movie. And as we see in The Last Jedi, like Snoke is a great villain, but dies and basically furthers our protagonist's story. Yeah, it's really interesting because the the crawl always kind of drops us in right at the next moment. Um, mm -hmm. That's happening in this story. Like in The Force Awakens, you know, it ends with Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. And we drop right in as Poe is talking to Laura Senteca, which also I'm really glad that Laura Senteca gets a shout out because I low-key love Laura Senteca. And then at the end of The Last Jedi, it says, but the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds toward the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. And we drop in with Poe, you know, Tokyo drifting all over Hux um, and, you know, <laughs> killing Kennedy. <laughs> R.I.P. Kennedy. Also, <laughs> just a shout out to Blast Points Podcast. They have a great episode devoted to Captain Kennedy. It's the best. <laughs> from a couple months ago, which is so funny. Uh, and now I kind of lost my train of thought thinking about how many times they played the Kennedy clips. <laughs> <laughs> Five bloody minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. You guys should definitely check it out. Um, so I think it's really interesting how you said that the crawls are kind of here to tell Luke Skywalker's story. Um but it's a story that like the movie – not that the movie doesn't care to talk about, but it just like – it's not the story the movie's trying to tell. Um, and if you remember like from the Force Awakens promo, they always – like JJ was always kind of like much ado about Luke Skywalker. Like what do you do with Luke Skywalker? And JJ has said that he himself is like a huge Luke Skywalker fanboy. And it was almost like he was not afraid, but um, it was a hard thing to like have him on screen. So he was literally like, I'm just not going to do that. I'm going to give that to Ryan. I'm going to make Luke Skywalker the MacGuffin um, because it just like builds this intrigue around him, which you kind of see in the crawl. And of course, that's the thing on everybody's mind is what's happened to Luke Skywalker. And the first thing you read is that he's vanished. And so like the crawl for Force Awakens makes a lot of sense to me. The crawl for The Last Jedi is the one where I'm like, I'm really surprised that we didn't have like a Rey or Kylo mention um, something about how like they like the, the ground split them like where are they now kind of thing um or like even like a poe or finn mention especially because we got a little bit of an allusion to poe in the force awakens um crawl so i was really surprised that we didn't see him in the last jedi and it's interesting how the crawls do kind of have this focus on luke and leia um 
I mean, the Force Awakens crawl, we talk about Luke's mentioned three times out of the nine um, overall. Like he's very heavily mentioned in the Force Awakens crawl. And then he's mentioned once in the last Jedi crawl. But that's almost half. Like, I don't know. I just – I think it's – I'll be curious to see if they – like, that's the question. Do you think that we'll get those characters mentioned in episode nine, like Ray and Kylo, or are we just going to keep with not mentioning them? Okay. I have to back up. I am absolutely not surprised that The Last Jedi Crawl didn't include, like, the ground split them apart and where are they now type thing. The Crawl's purpose is not to summarize what happened in the last episode, but instead – give you enough information to drop you in this certain time period. And even though The Last Jedi, and I think this is what you're getting at, The Last Jedi starts immediately after The Force Awakens. So it is already kind of problematic for the crawl because with our other movies, there's usually a pretty big time gap between them that the audience really does need to catch up with what they need to know. With The Last Jedi, they're not going to do that because – our characters like literally just left each other <laughs> and um, there's no need to summarize that. And they've never summarized anything in crawls Yeah. in the, in the episode nine crawl. They definitely will include Ray. I fully believe that they will at this point, because especially if we get like a six month to two year time jump, um, there's going to be a lot of ground to cover in terms of um, I'm sure it'll be, you know, Kylo Ren reigns as uh, supreme leader, and it'll be all capitalized. And um, so, <laughs> I think that there there will be things to um, catch up on. And with the Last Jedi, there's not. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a really good point. Like every other film has had this kind of time jump. So even if you had something like um, Rey is in the Falcon speeding towards Luke Skywalker at the behest of General Leia, like we already know that. Um, Like we already know she's on her way to Luke. Like she's already there um, actually, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which we see from the end of The Force Awakens. So yeah, I think that's a really good point um, that I hadn't considered before because all the other ones, there is this time gap where we kind of do need some of the blanks filled in, whereas here we really don't. Um, The Last Jedi is such an interesting movie. (laughs) It really is. I mean, it's really just so unique because I don't think we've ever had a Star Wars movie that picks up immediately after. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that in my brain before I knew what they were doing with the comics, I think that you could potentially assume that Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi kind of take place within days of each other. But now that you can kind of study the timeline and know like the EU material that they're – and I don't mean that in like the the legend sense. I mean like the – expanded universe material like you understand that it's been like a, a couple months um but i kind of always assumed that it was like basically a week or so after um empire strikes back but i guess like it makes sense <laughs> that luke would kind of have a more like transformation he'd learned how to build his lightsaber everything mm-hmm. that happens in the beginning of return of the jedi but i think that the casual viewer probably thinks that you know when luke says oh we'll rendezvous on Tatooine at the end of Empire and then the movie starts on Tatooine with them rendezvousing um I think that you know it doesn't there I, I would have thought that there wasn't that big of a time gap but yeah this almost filled that in um but because of that there is some time to fill in I think that's really the closest time period that I could think about in terms of how far these movies take place from each other mm-hmm. and even still we're still catching up with Luke because we have to catch up with Luke because he really is the core of Star Wars mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, he is. And so it makes sense that he would kind of take center stage, at least in the Force Awakens crawl and in the Last Jedi crawl too. Um, What's also interesting too is that Anakin isn't mentioned by name explicitly in any of the prequel trilogy crawls either. So weird. I mean, Darth Vader is mentioned. Yeah, Darth Vader is. Um, And we get – they refer to two Jedi Knights in The Revenge of the Sith, which is obviously Anakin and Obi-Wan. But he's not referred to explicitly. But someone like General Grievous is (laughs) and (laughs) Senator Amidala is, which honestly is – I think is a bit surprising. Um, And Anakin's not. But It's more surprising to me when I go back and look at the Phantom Menace crawl that it's – there's not – a Queen Amidala isn't written out. Mm-hmm. Um, but Senator is later. And I think it's just to denote – all these things have a function, right? Like yeah. Senator Amidala is written out and because it was – it says like former Queen of the Naboo, you have to understand that time has passed. Like roles have changed. Things have changed. Um, and just – I don't know. It's really interesting because then you say like, oh, it just says two Jedi Knights in – um, Revenge of the Sith and it's because it's almost that surprise factor when you pan down with the war drums in Revenge of the Sith and you don't know who's in the Jedi Starfighters but when you see Anakin um, say lock onto, lock onto him R2 like that is a is a moment because you're like wow here I am with our heroes and this like one last like rendezvous I just said rendezvous like two times within 10 minutes but you know it's the same thing <laughs> It's, I like how you described it. Like every word has a function in these crawls. And I mean, you were an English major. So like you're very well versed in <laughs> – That's how my brain works. <laughs> yeah. And like looking at these kinds of details. And I wasn't an English major, but I would like to to think that I could have been. Um, <laughs> but like looking at the function of these words, particularly when they do have such a purpose of, like you said earlier, like filling in these gaps um, because time has passed. Like especially – like I think the, the Senator Amidala one is such a perfect example. Like – Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo, even though she's not mentioned like in the crawl as Queen of Naboo in The Phantom Menace, the movie told us that she was Queen of Naboo. And now the crawl for the next movie is saying, okay, same character, new title, Um, Mm -hmm. which I think is – it's really interesting. Like you said, every word has a function Um, and given like how – even though it feels like a long time, like we're really looking at like three to five sentences at the start of these movies that really are kind of catching you up on these on a need to know basis kind of. And then and particularly with the with the prequel trilogy, like we know the bigger details, like the broader story strokes, but this is kind of filling in what's happened in the in-between time um, and the important things that you need to pull in order to get to know where we are. And I think some people might like in a way, not in a way, have that as a criticism, um, particularly when we jump from Attack of the Clones to Revenge of the Sith, like the fact that we didn't ever get to see the actual Clone Wars that were kind of so like heavy, not heavy handed, but like heavily mentioned in A New Hope with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and kind of everyone had that expectation that that's what we were going to see when really like Revenge of the Sith says war and it's catching up on the fact that we've been in a war and now we're at the Mm -hmm. end of the war actually which i think is Mm -hmm. really interesting um that we're at the like revenge of the sith starts off with telling you that we're already in the middle of the war but really this film is exploring the end of the war and the start of the empire it's really something i take for granted at this point because clone wars has been such a huge part of my fandom experience and kind of I think I was a, like a huge fan for like two years and then the Clone Wars happened and it was always just kind of filling in those gaps. Um, but you're so right. Like 
war really does like encapsulate a lot. Um, and that's why it's my fave. Um, another <laughs> thing that I, <laughs> that I think is really interesting is I just counted, you know, there's a lot of villains mentioned in the crawls, like Supreme, Ch- the Supreme Chancellor twice, Count Dooku twice, um, General Grievous, Darth Vader, Jabba the Hutt, Supreme Leader Snoke. At this point, I think that it's easy to say that 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 serves a function to let the audience know that you should kind of be awakened to the fact that these people are bad and they are against our heroes. And you should probably know them by name because the story really isn't going to give you that. And um, they're always going to be the foes and you might not learn as much as you think you would about like say a hero so i think the the best example for me is general grievous like who is general grievous right we start revenge of the sith and we get a line in revenge of the sith that says in a stunning mood the fiend in a stunning move the fiendish drawing leader general grievous has swept into the republic capital and kidnapped chancellor palpatine leader of the galactic senate it really does have to clue you in on who these villains are and like why they're even here because he's such a random villain right like we we've never seen him before except for in the um clone wars micro series but the very small fraction of the audience has seen that so um that's just like another example of having to kind of spell it out for the audience of who these kind of faceless unknown villains are yeah, so I think that – and this is interesting too because now with the – like not the actual Clone Wars but the Clone Wars animated series, in a way like you don't need this crawl anymore because we're very – yeah. That's This is what's interesting and I think this goes back to our earlier question of are the crawls useful and are they used? Um, because with the Clone Wars animated series, we already know who Grievous is. We don't need this catch up essentially mm. of who he is. Now the the crawl between, you know, Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones, a lot of that hasn't been filled in yet. Um looking at you, Queen Shadow. I actually say that yes, Revenge of the Sith needs this because we've never seen in canon Clone Wars um Chancellor Palpatine being kidnapped by General Grievous. Like yeah, we don't but know that. We might be seeing that next year. Yeah, and if we do, then that's really interesting because then that, that poses the question of that's when the question arises. I don't think at this yeah. point right now the question has arisen. I mean, the the specific question, I think, like the fact that like he kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine is all well and good, but it's almost like, but what what we're kind of talking about here is that like we need this line here to clue us into the fact that General Grievous is a bad person. Like that's re- like. I don't know. I guess I guess this line in the crawl serves two functions, like you were saying. One, it clues us in to who General Grievous is. And number two, it clues us into what he has done, which is kidnap Chancellor Palpatine. Um, but we don't need that first function anymore because we've seen him throughout Clone Wars like get in the way a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so now we're just kind of relying on this second function. But I mean it's I mean, the thing is it's still like it's so quintessential to Star Wars that Again, we talk about this all the time. It's that weird thing of how Star Wars is made, like filling in these gaps um, between these movies. But that's what the crawl is also doing um, before you had those gaps filled in by like actual like canon content. It's really fascinating. You know what I just thought of? No. How Rogue One is a storyline picked from the crawl of A New Hope. 
During the battle, rebel spies managed to steal secret plans for the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough pa- – with enough – I said almost said firepower, but with enough power <laughs> to destroy an entire planet. Like I was like Tarkin or something. But um, I – think that that raises an interesting question to our earlier discussion about whether or not these serve the function to catch up our viewers, because in a perfect world, after popping in Rogue One, you put this on and it's like, yeah, I just saw that. Like, why are you giving me this information? Like, I literally just turned it off. Yeah. What we're getting at is that these crawls kind of exist on their own. And in this new age, potentially they don't just exist on their own because we're filling in all these different gaps. Mm-hmm. In in the world before the saga, you can watch all nine saga films, not watch anything else, any of the anthology, any of the TV shows, and you should understand what's going on. And um, it's great because now we're expanding that, but it's really fascinating to me to like take a look at these and kind of wonder about the questions because- mm-hmm. Interesting to think about Rogue One from that angle. Yeah, exactly. Because then Rogue One becomes a crawl to A New Hope, like an extended mm-hmm. crawl. And in a way, like the Clone Wars are the crawl to Revenge of the Sith as well. Mm-hmm. But it also goes back to that accessibility because a lot of those shows yeah. are pretty inaccessible for people. Like they're really long. They're kind of violent. Rogue One is pretty violent, pretty sad. Like not the, not gen- the general audience. Yeah, it's like the saga films have to exist on their own, almost in a vacuum. Yeah. And they should treat the audience like they shouldn't have to head to like the source material, to um, the extra source material, not just the source material, to understand what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Like they, because the saga films, the saga films are sacred. Like it's where it started. It's the story of the Skywalker family. That's what the saga films are. Everything else is just like a bonus Jonas. And they're great bonuses. And that's not to say that they're not as important. But I think how you described it, you described it perfectly. Like the saga films have to exist in its own vacuum. And just because something like Rogue One or something like the Clone Wars kind of makes the crawl redundant, that's it. Like the crawl has now become redundant in this vein. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't make it less important because the crawl is such like a centerpiece, not a centerpiece is the wrong word. It's, I mean, it's the start of the film. Um, And it's like such an icon now to Star Wars itself that you can't really mess with that. Um, But at the same time, like it becomes redundant, but it's also inspiring these new stories. Like, I mean, it was John Null, right? Who Mm -hmm. like pitched the idea for Rogue One specifically from the crawl. So mm-hmm. it's important and like the if we didn't have the crawl, we wouldn't have Rogue One. Um, mm-hmm. But now Rogue One in a way has made the crawl redundant. It's interesting. It, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's fascinating. Star Wars is good. <sighs> okay, so what terms are capitalized? I, I find this really fascinating because every time I've ever watched a Star Wars movie, I'm like, why is that capitalized? And I think this is what we have. So these are the terms that are capitalized. Army of the Republic. Death Star, Galactic Empire, First Order, Republic, and Resistance. It's pretty clear why it's capitalized. These are organizations. These are governments. Um, This is what you should understand is the reigning force um, or not with the resistance and the, um, the, I guess, the Republic, I guess. I don't know. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, (laughs) Debatable. What's reigning? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> mumble mumble republic. <laughs> but um, these are like the organizations that you should be clued into. Um, and it goes back to that biased question of like, is the crawl written with a sense of bias? And in a way it is, but also here we are given the two sides of the argument really in in like what the war is about. Yeah, it's kind of like cliff notes, like where to draw your eye to. Like if you're if you're not the fastest reader or you don't really care, these are the words that are going to pop out to you. And these are like your key words. Um, these are your buzzwords for like Star Wars, Army of the Republic, Death Star, Galactic Empire, First Order, Republic, Resistance. Like these are kind. These are like these are your bold points. These are the things you highlight in order to catch up on what's going on. Um, like if you mm-hmm. take nothing else away from these crawls. Take away these organizations and um, and again, like these are written in a way that you automatically – like their connotation gives you an opinion of them. Death Star, bad connotation. Resistance, good connotation. You know? So mm-hmm. it, it kind of makes you – even just looking at these few words, you're already forming ideas about the story that's about to be told. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Interesting. Okay. So let's talk about the four dots because oh. – Okay, so so every time Caitlin and I watch Star Wars, um, like we said, we are really dramatic about the reading of the crawl. Like it's really loud. Caitlin like gets really into it. I also get really into it, but Caitlin like reads it most often. Whenever there's uh like the four dots, we always say four. audibly four. <laughs> and <laughs> um I always thought it was really funny because again, as an English major, like the four dots like pisses me off. It's <laughs> It's not a thing. Like an ellipses should not be four dots. It's three dots. Mm-hmm. But it's so much baked into Star Wars that like I can't deny it. It doesn't bother me. But um, it actually would bother me more if it wasn't there. And guess where it's not? Return of the Jedi, my love. <laughs> <sighs> it drives me nuts. I it want really them does. like in the special edition. Why didn't they just add that back? Come yeah. on. Yeah, of like all the changes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's funny is so all the a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away also has four dots. And I remember um, my friend Megan, our friend actually, Megan, uh, had an engagement party a couple weeks ago and it was Star Wars themed. And her and I actually live in the same area. So I was helping um, with this party and I made a sign that said a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, dot, 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 Megan and Zach fell in love, something like that. And I remember my mom was cutting out the words on her cricket for me. Um, also, like speaking of speaking of like font and word choice, I just think this is hilarious because my mom was getting the paper, like my mom was making these on her cricket for me. And the number of like pictures she sent me of different shades of blue <laughs> was I think I got like 20 pictures of her and Michael's looking at like all these card stocks of different shades of blue, like asking me to pick the one that was like most authentic. <laughs> It's like a cerulean. It's a weird blue. It's a weird blue, but I think the um I think the color that we got was actually like yeah. pretty spot on. Yeah, um, it was perfect. It was perfect. And I remember she was like, I do the four dots and I was like, Yes, four dots. <laughs> was she like, wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um my mom is also an English major, um, too. So she was like, Is it really four? Like, am I cause she was looking at it online and she's like, Am I really supposed to do four? Like, is am I reading it right? And I'm like, Yes. Yes, you are. Give me four dots. <laughs> I did some research about the four dots, and it's not like a completely unknown thing in like the English language. It actually kind of denotes um, 
So there's the ellipses and then the period afterwards. And Oh. Yeah, it's it's actually like there's been a lot of scholarly discussion about how it actually kind of denotes that there's something mystical that will continue. So it is more like once upon a time and or like the end, it would instead of three dots, it would have four dots because it, potentially it would never really be the end. Um, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I think that the purpose is there in Star Wars because the story just always continues. But are you saying that the the fourth dot is a period? No. Okay. I, I said that in terms of like a punctuation. Okay. But the fourth dot continues the sentence, which the ellipses does too. It's just there's a lot of discussion about it and yeah. it's kind of very Englishy. Kind of but, like the Oxford comma. Oh, but, don't but even like, get me started. But like more underground. <laughs> yeah. I I would never use four dots in my essay, but I <laughs> But if George I, Lucas wants to. But I think like in fairy tales and like this genre, it's worth noting that potentially it's not just dot dot dot, here's the next paragraph, it's dot dot dot, here's the full story. Um I think that's what it's trying to say. Interesting. So, like, three dots is, like, kind of mystical, but four dots is, like, whole other level. Super mixed. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's just, like, real speculation. I love that, that like, you have this, like, very, like, mainstream debate with the Oxford comma, but, like, if you're a real English major, like, in the underground streets, you talk about the three versus four dot ellipsis. Also, just for the record, I'm extremely pro-Oxford comma. Oh, my God. So pro-Oxford comma. It's not even funny. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So anyway, we're both like Oxford comma. (laughs) Okay. So let's kind of talk a little bit about – okay. So one of my favorite lines in these crawls is from The Empire Strikes Back. And it says, um, Darth Vader obsessed with finding young Skywalker. Again, every word here serves a function, like Charlotte said earlier. And I just – I love the word choice and the sentence structure of this sentence, um, particularly the word obsessed. I think it's such a perfect word, especially once you come out of the film knowing that Vader is Luke's father. It's kind of like a bit of foreshadowing in a way because why else would Vader be obsessed with finding Skywalker? I mean, obviously there's the obvious that, you know, Skywalker blew up the Death Star. He's kind of like a big problem. Um, But this word obsessed makes it like so much more personal and it's Mm -hmm. because it is personal because Vader knows that this kid is Skywalker. He's Anakin Skywalker's kid and Vader is Anakin Skywalker, Um, was Anakin Skywalker if you want to be specific or really still is barometer of dark side. But I don't know. I just like – I love that word choice. I think it paints such a vivid picture, especially once you know – like once you come to the end of Empire Strikes Back. Um, And I think it's a hint at like Vader's true motives, like going into the Empire Strikes Back as a film. I have something interesting to add to the word obsessive. Add. Obsessed, obsessively. Um, Where I work, we had a debate over the word choice of obsessed and – because in the Empire this, Strikes Back crawl? No, no, no. In like <laughs> use, in use case um, when writing. Okay. And I think the general debate right now in 2018 is that obsessed holds a mental health stigma and mm. it should be, you know, used and like tread lightly over. Um, 
in this point, I really do think that Darth Vader is like fully obsessed. Like he's completely taken himself over. He can think of nothing else besides Luke Skywalker and tracking him down to the point of like completely like blinding out anything and everything. I think that's really interesting about um, kind of coming at it from like a mental health position because I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, I think exactly. But the and is this for like content that you guys are writing because your content is like very much for like the public consumption like pretty immediately versus Mm -hmm. something like this which is fiction which is kind of cluing us in more to like a character's motivations did you guys kind of talk about that difference like given like who your audience is and like the kind of content that you're writing really we were just talking about how the word obsessed has kind of changed meaning over Mm -hmm. time and um I say it all the time. I love saying the word obsessed, like, oh, I'm obsessed with that. Like, mm-hmm. but it really doesn't mean as much as it used to mean. And I don't know if it meant that much even in 1980. But um, I do think that it's interesting to think about these, you know, like I said at the top of the show, like <laughs> I'm obsessed with words and I love <laughs> thinking about them. So there I am using the word obsessed. And I think that here you have a word that really does encapsulate everything about Darth Vader's feelings. And um, thinking about potentially it with like a mental health stigma, like he truly can't think about anything else. He can't function without, you know, getting a hold and like figuring out everything he possibly can about Luke Skywalker, his son, he presumes. Mm-hmm. What's cool too is that the word obsessed, I think in this connotation, it doesn't – we don't know what his motives are. Um, you can kind of – I think from like the outset of before you really know what's going on in Empire Strikes Back, you can say that it's like very – it's negative um, and, and it is too. But then also if you kind of like dig a little deeper and you start wondering about like the person of Anakin Skywalker beneath the mask, like is that obsessiveness almost like a cry for help in a way? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have kind of these dueling meanings I think. What's also great about this word choice too is that we often talk about Anakin and Padme and Anakin being in an obsessive love yes. of Padme. May too. So that kind of duality there I find really great. Mm-hmm. And and thinking about what I just said about how like you overanalyze the word obsessed and how obsession can really be unhealthy. And um, when we think about Anakin's obsession with Padme, I think I wrote like this meta on it in like 2005 you about did. how Anakin's – I did. Um, Anakin's um, love for Padme is more of an obsession than a love and that's where things go wrong. And um, it's clear here that he's like kind of shrouded in the dark side as well, um, mm-hmm. trying to basically use Luke for his own benefit um, to overthrow the Emperor, not really necessarily thinking about, you know, the fact that this is his son. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. What, so there what, we there we did. We just overanalyzed, yeah. obsessed, yeah. like one line. <laughs> <laughs> What's cool is that, um, again, this is kind of going back to like the structure of Star Wars and like the ending chapter versus the middle chapter. And in the ending chapter of Anakin's obsessive love with Padme, it ended in tragedy. Um, It ended in her death and in him becoming Darth Vader. But in this darker middle chapter, this obsessiveness over finding Luke Skywalker eventually leads to his redemption and return of the Jedi. Because you're right, like when he starts off on this search, it really is for personal gain. It's not about Mm -hmm. Luke. Like I think you could argue that perhaps it is a little bit about like Luke and his son and like he's starting to have those feelings perhaps. But one, I don't think that's been explored enough in canon to really – 
say that. And number two, if it is, it's very much a small part of Vader at that point, like negligible, basically. Um, in Empire Strikes Back, it really is about like, oh, like if he's Luke Skywalker's son, he's probably really powerful. We can overthrow the Empire, the Emperor together. Um, but that obsessiveness that eventually leads him to Luke also leads him to Luke's compassion, which eventually turns the tide. And so that obsessiveness um, gives way to like a true love for his son, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, again, like these patterns that we're seeing kind of played around with a little bit. So like obsessive love um, destroyed him in episode three, but this obsessiveness in the darker middle chapter of episode five led to something good. Mm. Definitely. So let's talk about the line that kind of inspired this whole podcast. Um, In The Last Jedi Crawl, the resistance has been exposed. So how do we think about this with our knowledge of the show resistance? I think it's really fascinating because in if so we're going to be talking about the show resistance so far which is on what episode 5 now um I think so maybe 6 maybe 6 and we're going to be talking to spoilers up to the newest episode of resistance so if you're not caught up on resistance skip to part 3 um fair warning so the so we know that the timeline of resistance is relative is six months before the show resistance is six months before the force awakens and that we're going to be work the show is going to be working through the force awakens and presumably the last jedi given the timeline um and the resistance we see in the tv show is very much on the dl and in a way so is the first order um but here it says like the resistance has been exposed which you know kind of tracking along with their actions and their spy work in the tv show it's hard that they're named the same thing gonna be honest (laughs) um but tracking along with like the development of the resistance in the tv show you can kind of see how that makes sense with the last jedi crawl because they really like the the destruction of star killer base really was kind of their first four way foray i imagine and like one-to-one combat with the first order and i think it'd be safe to say that like the first order has been exposed to through the work of star killer base um i don't know i just i thought it was really interesting because um, in the show Resistance, we're talking a lot about the development of the First Order, actually, um, whereas I thought we would have been talking more about the development of the Resistance. But I think we're going to be getting that more in the next couple of episodes. I agree. I am just looking back on The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi Crawls and the mentions of the Resistance. And it's interesting that it says with this, in The Force Awakens, with the support of the Republic, General Leia leads a brave resistance, a brave capital resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in The Last Jedi, it says General Leia Organa's band of resistance capital fighters stand against the rising t- tyranny, certain that Mas- Jedi Master Luke Skywalker ret- will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. Mm-hmm. But the resistance has been exposed. Yeah. But what's interesting, too, is that Hux calls Poe a Republic fighter, I think. Yeah. Um, something th- like that. He, ta- he, he, he talks about Poe in relation to the Republic, to the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Um I think he caught something about the New Republic fleet, something like that, um, where he like links the two, the Resistance and the Republic, whereas the show Resistance kind of makes strides to show that they're separate. Um, exactly. And I think, I think so does The Force Awakens. Um, but again, like there are things that are probably like in motion 
in the show resistance that we'll see between the New Republic and the organization of the resistance that kind of all come to a head throughout The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi timeline. Definitely. I think that this will be something that we can look on with different eyes once we have more from the television show. Yeah. And again, this is the curious thing is that now Resistance is going to be the first like overlapping timeline. Which... Oh, it's so true. Um, unless Clone Wars does it. Yeah. But if Clone Wars does that, I feel like Clone Wars will be pretty minimal in how it does mm-hmm. it. And we won't be involving main characters. I don't know. Real, I, you think – I think we'll see Ahsoka in Revenge crossover of the in Clone Wars. In Revenge of the Sith timeline. Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. But do you think she'll be like talking to Anakin? I don't know. I don't I I don't know. I feel like they're gonna really surprise us. I can't like make those those like concrete. I don't think they're gonna talk at all. It's- I think that they they might do that because it would even just further Anakin's fall even more if they did. Wow, I hadn't even like considered that possibility. <laughs> Before, <laughs> um, I th- like I, I I knew that they would op- like they're obviously they're in contact in the trailer, but I thought all of that would be pre Revenge of the Sith, and then I could see them like continuing Ahsoka's story, like throughout the movie of Revenge of the Sith, but we don't really see Anakin and Obi Wan in that timeline. Um, wow, now you've got my head spinning. <laughs> what are we talking about? Um, okay, yeah, that could happen. That would be amazing, but I think. That's, I still think that'll be pretty minimal compared to what resistance we'll probably get into. Agreed. That's kind of crazy, though, overlapping timeline. I know. It is crazy. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, are we ready to talk about rhyming crawls? Yes. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right, welcome to part three, where we're going to be talking about rhyming crawls. And I think you're probably wondering, oh, well, uh, Charlotte, Caitlin, these these crawls aren't poetry. But uh, I think if we go back to our good man, George, from part <laughs> one, where in 2005, he said, the crawl is such a hard thing because you have to be careful that you're not using too many words that people don't understand. It's like a poem, which The way they talk about Star Wars a lot is that it's like poetry. It rhymes with itself. And so we don't mean literal rhyming listeners. Don't worry. Um, But just like these themes and ideas that kind of come up throughout these crawls um, is really fascinating. And so kind of the first one that I think is a little bit interesting is the fact that in the Phantom Menace crawl, um, it talks about how two Jedi Knights are sent out. And then, and that kind of starts our story of how we find Anakin. And then in Revenge of the Sith, we also reference two Jedi Knights are dispatched on a desperate mission to save the Chancellor. Um, but now we're talking about Anakin and Obi-Wan, and we know that this is kind of the end of their story. Um, I really like that parallel between the Phantom Menace and Revenge of the Sith crawl. Me too. I've actually never thought about that. But it's like the start, you know, a lot of people have kind of talked about how maybe the prequels could have been improved if the prequels were really from the point of view of Obi-Wan. And I've always kind of looked upon that discussion um, from an angle of like, yeah, I could totally see that, but I like the way they do it. Um, But I think that if you kind of can get in that mindset, here's a really good example of like, here's 
Obi-Wan in the very beginning with his master, and then now in Re- Revenge of the Sith, here's Obi-Wan as the master with his Padawan. Mm. Um, and and it, it really does rhyme. It, it And it works so well. And two, you're getting more of that like hashtag Star Wars is tragedy because the two Jedi Knights are in Phantom Menace are Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon loses his master, becomes the master. And then in Revenge of the Sith, the two Jedi Knights are now Obi-Wan and Anakin, and Obi-Wan, now the master, loses his Padawan. Oh, man. Ugh. Wow, that is that's (laughs) (laughs) right. Yes, evil is everywhere, and I'm sobbing. (laughs) And so then, of course, one of the other big ones that's really great too is this transition between Return of the Jedi and um, The Force Awakens, where we start off in the Return of the Jedi crawl with Luke Skywalker has returned. And then in The Force Awakens, it is Luke Skywalker has vanished. And the symmetry between those is just – it's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. I love it. It's I so love good. It. it is the complete opposite. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the cool thing about The Force Awakens, um, Crawl, just like as, a, and a, as an aside, it is Luke Skywalker has vanished as its own line. Um, it is like completely separate mm-hmm. from the next paragraph below it, and it because it, it recognizes its shock value, it knows. <laughs> it really does. But but really, when you like put these things side by side, it's fascinating that we have Luke returning home to uh, to Tatooine in the Return of the Jedi crawl, and then the Force Awakens, we have Luke completely absent from essentially this unfamiliar land, um, and we don't know where where Luke is at all. What's kind of cool when you said that um, – because the, the Force Awakens format is different from all the other ones. You're right, where we have Luke Skywalker's Manish stands on its own. Um, and it's cool because you said that it knows its shock value, which it really does. And it just reminded me of The Last Jedi novelization um, where we have that whole prologue of this like vision that Luke has imagining he had stayed on Tatooine and married um, – Cammy. Yeah, Cammy. And – I remember when we talked about that, we were like, that's a shock. Um, and that prologue, that vision knows its shock value about Luke Skywalker's life, just like the Force Awakens prologue or crawl does as well. Um, again, it just brings us back to this conversation that like a lot of these stories, like Luke Skywalker is the the fulcrum in both Anakin Skywalker's story and Rey and Kylo's story too. And he functions as such because he's now in the middle trilogy of this three-part trilogy, nine-part saga, which I think is going to be really cool once we have the final chapter and kind of seeing mm-hmm. his role in both of their lives, I think is going to be really fun to parse down and kind of sift through and analyze. If Lucasfilm keeps this series, um, this these saga films at nine films, and t- for the record, I want three more, um, but if they do, it really does. I love the whole trilogy of trilogies thing where we can look at the original trilogy as the center and we can have the prequels and the sequels kind of like bookend it, like you just said, and how we can kind of reference it. It, it is so poetic and it's it really is like you're reading a poem laid out on a page for you. Yeah, but you're seeing the poem like come to you in different chunks. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why the original trilogy is so fascinating because it's like Luke and Leia are paying for the sins of their father. Um, but then they – and as they 
like rectify, particularly Luke, as he rectifies that wrong, he then kind of creates his own as well that is then mm-hmm. being played out in the future with Kylo. And it's just like it's really fascinating. It kind of goes back to our um, like monsters talk, like monsters beget monsters. Um, but you have Luke in the middle who's not a monster but not perfect. And so even though he saved a monster in a way, he helped create another one as well. Um, wow. But I don't know. It's just – it's it's really cool, um, like him being this piece in between Luke, between Vader and Kylo. Definitely. Um, okay. So let's talk about – like let, let's compare each opening, each middle, each end of the trilogies. So let's start with the first episode in each trilogy. So something that like really unifies all of these when you can kind of put them all side by side in terms of like the Phantom Menace, uh, A New Hope and The Force Awakens is um, they both really drop you right in the center. So the Phantom Menace says turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. At this point, we don't even know what the Galactic Republic is, right? We have literally no idea what um, that even looked like. And what's the turmoil? Who knows? Um, <laughs> Beats me. Um, <laughs> um, a New Hope drops us right into it is a period of civil war. Um, really brings the Star Wars, <laughs> the wars in the stars. <laughs> and uh, The Force Awakens really drops us right in the center of Luke Skywalker has vanished. And after 40 years of basically given knowledge, um, ahead of Luke Skywalker, like during the time of Luke Skywalker, this was the most shocking thing we could be dropped right into the center of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's important too is that immediately following Luke Skywalker is vanished because like we said, it does kind of stand on its own. So in a way, I feel like to compare them a little bit more too, we need to read the next sentence in The Force Awakens, mm-hmm. Crawl, which says, in his absence, the sinister First Order has risen. So all of these like starts, (laughs) these beginnings are kind of already telling you that you're in the middle of conflict. Like chapter one is that you're really not in chapter one. Um, Mm -hmm. You're in the middle, which again is something we all love to love about Star Wars is that it puts you in the middle. Um, And it tells you too like who – like it kind of gives you these organizations like a period of civil war, the Galactic Republic, the Sinister First Order. Um, I'd say the Phantom Menace and the Force Awakens have the most like verbose as far as the word choice of engulfed, um, turmoil has engulfed, and then the Sinister First Order has risen. Um, they're both very ominous. Like the the Force Awakens is very ominous, whereas the Phantom Menace is. Um, I don't know. It's a bit more consuming. Um, the word engulfed is very consuming, almost a little chaotic. And then, like I said, I really like how A New Hope starts. I, I think it's – I think A New Hope is like a very – it's a very simplistic sentence, but the term civil war is something – at least as Americans, like we're very familiar with the history of the civil war here. And so we kind of know automatically – like that kind of brings forth images, I think, to our head about mm-hmm. like civil war and how there is a good side and a bad side. And, um, you know, I don't know. I just think it has very – kind of specific connotations with American history anyway. I would push back on that. In my brain, I I think you're pretty steeped in like American history just as your major. I think about like the Spanish Civil War and everything. And that is all generally like infighting. 
that's what I think about when I think about like civil wars. It's like a war within a specific population. And I mean, that's um, what the American Civil War is uh, too. <laughs> of course, but I'm I'm just saying, like in terms of like, a, I think that's like the global definition is um, when you kind of th- when those words kind of come up on screen, you think about like, oh, okay, so there's a war like within an organization to like topple a certain organization in place. That's what I think. True, true, true. Like that's like the generalized term of civil war. I think though like here in America, I think most people would probably, they associate it with the American civil war first. But you're right. There are a lot of civil wars throughout history, um, obviously, in a lot of different cultures. But they're all based on the same thing of what you said, infighting. Mm -hmm, Definitely. Okay. So the thing that's like super interesting to me is comparing the darker middle chapters, which are filled with dark language. So much dark language for our darker middle chapters. It's great. So (laughs) Attack of the Clones. um, And so rather than reading the first sentence, we're going to like look at these adjectives and descriptors that are used because once you kind of put them all in a line together, you're like, oh, you are a darker middle chapter. I see you. Um, so Attack of the Clones uses the words unrest, mysterious Count Dooku, limited Jedi Knights, critical issue, overwhelmed Jedi. Empire Strikes Back uses the words dark time, destroyed, pursued, dreaded Imperial Starfleet, remote planet, evil lord, obsessed, far reaches of the galaxy. And The Last Jedi uses disseminated – or I'm sorry, decimated – deploys his merciless legions, rising tyranny, resistance has been exposed, and desperate escape. Very dark, very sinister, all of these. For sure. It really does just set the stage of like this movie. A lot is going to go wrong for our heroes. (laughs) (laughs) I really like um, the Attack of the Clones one, actually. I like them all because, I mean, I'm a sucker for – I'm a sucker for a darker metal chapter. Um, but I really like the ones in Attack of the Clones. Like it really – like the, I think unrest is probably the best term I think to describe kind of the politics that are going on in Attack of the Clones. Like it's a bit antsy um, mm-hmm. and like everyone's kind of moving around but no one knows what to do. And I think, um, you know, unrest, mysterious, limited Jedi Knights, critical issue. Like you could just hear the sirens in the back <laughs> of your head almost. Like the overwhelmed Jedi. Like there's not enough people to go around. Um, it, I think unrest is like the best term to describe that film, at least like what the crawl is trying to set you up for. I know obviously people have very different opinions of Attack of the Clones, um, but I, I like how the crawl sets it up. It's pretty anxiety inducing. Yeah, yeah, I think, exactly. I think all of these are, but I think just in terms of like contextualizing the prequels, I think that you're supposed to feel this like really heightened sense of anxiety because you know where it's going. And also your movie opens with a bunch of people just talking and it's, it's, it's not pointless. Like it has a point to kind of show that they're just talking. They're not making it get any, getting anything done. They're not listening to the one person in the room, Padme, who knows what she's talking about. Shout out Padme. Um, There's like, there's just all of this unrest. There's limited Jedi Knights. There's just like a critical issue that no one's hearing. It's like, it's very purposeful that when you read this, you are supposed to feel a sense of anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And the word choice really lends itself to that. Um, Empire Strikes Back, I think, is, it's very um, like 
stereotypical movie doom and gloom. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but like the dreaded Imperial Starfleet. They were pursued across the galaxy, like the Dark Lord obsessed. Like it's very much like a serial, um, Mm -hmm. which again makes sense for the film itself, the time that it was created in and like George Lucas himself when he was creating the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to The Last Jedi – It's interesting. Like, I don't think there's a huge sense of anxiety like I felt in Attack of the Clones Mm -hmm. or even that, like, cartoonish villainy of Empire Strikes Back. You kind of hear um, decimated, deploys his merciless legions, rising tyranny. I guess I do feel anxiety, but it's not the same as Attack of the Clones, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, at least. Weirdly, The Last Jedi is kind of the most tame as far as, like, these dark words um, Mm -hmm. compared to Attack of the Clones and Empire Strikes Back um, because – the like the real turmoil in the last jedi is an emotional turmoil i was just about to say that yeah i'm so glad we're on the same page wow great (laughs) high five (laughs) um and that's like that's kind of like your MacGuffin here like the the crawl of last jedi we talked about this a little bit how it's not really talking about ray and kylo um or really our main sequel trilogy characters is because that really is like the secret of this film and you don't want to give that away in the crawl. Um, so we're kind of still talking, like, like you said earlier, like we're kind of catching up on this, like Luke Skywalker situation and like Supreme leader Snoke, because the story isn't necessarily going to dive into that, but here's kind of the basics of what you need to know when the real meat of this story is going to be Ray and Kylo and like the emotional turmoil that they're going through. Like that's really the darkest part of this film is the questions, like the the existential questions that they have to ask themselves, particularly Ray. But they're not going to bring that up in the crawl because they want to save that for the film. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. But I really do like the word choice. Decimated in particular, I think is a really great word choice, um, as well as rising tyranny. Um, I think mm-hmm. is it, it, it like these words in particular like really set you up for the start of the film. So like Snoke is deploying his merciless re- legions um, and the resistance has been exposed, mounting a desperate escape. Like that's right where we drop in. Um, mm-hmm. So it makes sense that they kind of spend time on that as opposed to like the the emotions that Ray and Kylo are kind of feeling in this in these moments. And what's interesting too is that like the prequel films themselves, we talked about this how they don't really mention Anakin. Um, which again, now is now thinking about it, it's kind of this parallel um where they're not talking about these characters that are having these like really emotional um challenges and journeys in this film, particularly Anakin, Ray, and Kylo, because they save that for the film itself. Mm. It's true. That That's it a good is. Point. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, in terms of the closing films, this is kind of where we can get a little speculatory. Um, I don't necessarily find that they rhyme as much just because um, – and maybe it's just because we don't have that last missing piece that we can't make this full analysis. But um, or the Revenge of the Sith, I do think that there's like – the sense of doom throughout the entire crawl. Like we've, we've actually talked about it a lot on the show already with the denotation of war and um, Republic is crumbling, but and evil is everywhere. There's it's, it's a dark movie that has a dark crawl. Um, But I think you can look at return of the Jedi and see a lot of bright spots, which 
I think in terms of like the lexicon of looking at all of Star Wars, you can look at Return of the Jedi and see that that really is a bright spot. It's a movie filled with humor. It's a movie like that ends in like complete redemption and love. And um, I think it only sets the stage in The Crawl. You have words like, Luke Skywalker has returned to his home planet of Tatooine in an attempt to rescue his friend. Words like home planet or home even, friend, um, and rescue and freedom. It's all these things like it really does instill a sense of like hope, I guess, in how this is going to conclude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good point um, because we know that even though Revenge of the Sith is the closing chapter of the prequel trilogy, it's a middle chapter of the saga, and so it's going to have that different tone. And I think that's really cool, the comparison you made between them, like Reven- Return of the Jedi um, does have these kind of more friendly, literally friendlier terms um, that kind of already, I don't know, it kind of sets you up for Luke's success. And like mm-hmm. confidence in Luke, like Luke is here. He's he's on his home turf. He's got like home team advantage. And yeah. I think that's like the only sports <laughs> reference you'll ever hear me make on this show. <laughs> but like Luke's got home team advantage and um, we're going to rescue Han Solo and it's going to be great. Um, and whereas Revenge of the Sith is like very much, you know, war, evils everywhere, um, you know, a desperate mission from two Jedi Knights. Um, and we know how the story ends in Revenge of the Sith as well. Whereas here, Return of the Jedi, mm-hmm. it was a little uncertain. Well, we, really interesting is then to compare the episode nine crawl to these two as well, because then we've changed Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi is now a middle chapter of its own, um, mm-hmm. even though it wasn't created as a middle chapter originally. Again, creation of Star Wars is a weird and tricky thing. All right, so let's talk about episode nine then. I think I said already that I think that Ray and Kylo will both be mentioned in the crawl because at this point, I think that there's a significant amount of catching. I'm assuming that there's a two year time gap at this point, guys. There's a significant amount of catching up that has to do that has to happen just because I really don't think they're going to give us that much information in this time period, in this time gap. Um, and that's why I think that at least. Kylo will be mentioned. I was going to say Ray. I I think I'd put money on Kylo being mentioned. I I don't know. I I think I wouldn't be surprised if they are. I kind of don't want them to be now that they haven't been in the last two. I'd rather get like Poe and Hux and like the mm. how they're kind of functioning as these like public leaders for their respective organizations. Um, because you and I have talked a lot about like Poe and Hux actually perhaps mirroring each other a little bit in episode nine and how that would be really interesting. And so I think it would be cool if the crawl kind of caught us up on that development. Um, also – what we could potentially see played out a little bit, at least in the TV show Resistance, too, in regards to Poe. Ooh, we should definitely start it's looking true. for that in the show. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So I kind of hope that Ray and Kylo aren't mentioned in the Episode Nine crawl because I think, obviously for us, again, this is our bias, like they're our most interesting characters for us. And so in a way, I want to save whatever's happening with them for the movie itself. And honestly, I think the film does, too, because it left them in such an interesting position where – they're mad at each other, but still care about each other. Um, so what are they going to do with that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I could totally see them doing something akin to two Jedi Knights race towards a mission in um, Revenge of the Sith, like where they talk about Anakin and Obi-Wan, but don't refer to him. So I think that you could 
potentially do something where you talk about Hux and you talk about like the first order as like a whole and their clutches and then the movie opens and they like pan over to like Remperer, right? <laughs> um you know what I mean? Like yes. I think that they I think they definitely want to save that reveal whether it's like this like completely awesome benevolent leader Kylo Ren or if it's, you know, sad mopey Kylo Ren. I think that um that reveal is something that everyone is anticipating and they won't go for it in the crawl. I think I'm on your side now. Yeah, I think you could like even like the way that the crawl ends be like as as the resistance mounts a like innovative strategy. Wow, I can never write the crawl. Um, General Hux clues in the Supreme Leader. Dot 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 dot. Obviously, it'll be or so like, much better yeah. worded. Um, <laughs> yeah, General and, Hux has a few tricks up his sleeve. I mean, that is like super mustache twirly, but you know what that means? It could be something like that. Hux is going to stage a coup. Oh yeah, for sure. for sure. Maybe they're gonna talk about how Hux is planning to stage a coup in the in the crawl. I'm being completely serious here. Yeah, no, I could totally see that. Like as pressures mount within the first order, Hux um, Hux mounts his own strategic decision. Something like yes, that. Yes, I could totally see that happening. Wow, I could write that crawl. <laughs> or like maybe if it's not even that specific, maybe it's like um people within the first order have their doubts or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something like Which that. Which then kind of has this overall theme in episode nine about like allegiance doubt. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. And evil is everywhere. But you know what also is everywhere? Hope. Love. The main themes of yes. Star Wars. Love them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else we want to add? Uh, the crawls are super interesting, and I'm really glad we had this discussion. I feel like even just talking through it, I've thought so much more about these like pieces of Star Wars text. Me neither. I'm never going to be able to – and this is like the downside of overanalyzing and having like the super analytical brain. Um, I'm never going to be able to look at a crawl the same way after this discussion, I think. Mm-hmm. Same. I think – when we're in the seats for episode nine, I'm going to be like, oh, no, they're giving us too much information. <laughs> they this mentioned Ray and Kylo. Don't they know what we said a year ago <laughs> <laughs> about how they shouldn't do that? Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Clearly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I guess I'll I guess I'll like start paying attention to the crawls more now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Please do that. Yeah. Well, uh, this was a really fun episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you like what you hear, you can find us over on skytalkers.com or skytalkerspod as our Twitter handle. You can also find us on our personal Twitter handles at Caitlin Flusher for myself and at Clarity for Charlotte. Um, and if you really like what you hear, you can head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Yes. And um, like I mentioned at the top of the show, Caitlin's going to post her photos from Lucasfilm on our Instagram, which is just at Skytalkers Podcast. Yes. Full podcast, not just pod. Get that cast um, in there, guys. Yeah. I don't know why I did it on different. It's fine. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, I want to say a quick thank you to our amazing patrons. Amy, Joanna, Gina, James, Tracy, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, 
I Rebel, David, Claudia, Larry, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpa Raru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stewart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Jordan, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Megan, Rebecca, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us and making this podcast even happen. Yes. Thank you guys so much as always. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.